good morning, good morning 365. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. You know, I need to start off with a big apology. Yesterday, we had national load shedding. So I don't know if those of you who are not in South Africa, there's national load shedding, electrical grids get shut down and it fried my fiber connection. So I actually couldn't connect. um, And that's why we didn't have our scheduled podcast episode. But I'm extremely happy to see that I am live and I am online this morning. I was just doing a quick test. But nonetheless, let me grab my book and let's get started, right? So, so, so we are continuing with Happy Money by Ken Honda. Happy Money by Ken Honda. Guys, this is absolutely, you know, a brilliant book. Uh, You know, it's funny because I was just doing a tester, so I don't even have my notes out. Uh, but look, the previous chapter that we spoke about really, really brought out a couple of key things. So, you know, the other day we did uh, uh, the, the, the preface of the book and the introduction of the book. And, and the most important things that stood out there were, number one, money is energy. And I really, really think we should once again, like every other author we've done in this podcast, take them at face value. Take them to mean what they say, to say what they mean literally, right? Until we go through a stage in our lives where we've done everything that they've said we should do and the results are not are not matching, right? So until you have empirical evidence that the stuff does not work it is my absolute suggestion to you that you take these great authors at face value and you experiment with what they're saying and you fully commit to the process so so a couple of things here money is definitely energy right so so ken you know he walks us through his journey how he started writing books and changing lives etc etc and he says because money is energy there are two types of money there is happy money and unhappy money all right and then i can tell you now you know most of us and he actually says it in fact let me just quote him most people in general find themselves on the edge of always being involved in circulating unhappy money all right i can see there's a slight lag there on the live on youtube i hope it's not interfering with the quality of the audio all right so 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 money circulated in frustration anger sadness despair is unhappy money all those things are associated with the things that cause you to release that money bills debt little money more expenses etc etc which i think we've systematically covered in the first two books of the podcast science of getting rich richest man of babylon right and so i believe his book is really just to try and press upon how then to create happy money all right so this is happy money the japanese art of making peace with your money um i'm an absolute phenomenon we are obviously filming episode 25 of the podcast shake my hand let's go so today we're doing chapter one what does money mean to you solving the mystery of money now these chapters are not a lot in this book but they are long so it's long chapters but they are not a lot so it will feel like we're doing about two to three chapters at once in each reading but um um, i i struggle to see a way to to separate a chapter to make it shorter uh because everything the way you write everything is absolutely interconnected so we'll see how we go with today's chapter and then i'll devise a plan just so that the podcasts are digestible and not too long but also manageable in line with one chapter a day okay now what does money mean to you solving the mystery of money before i begin to explain what money is the better question is to start this chapter with what does money mean to you 
I'm sure that depending on who you are asking, your answers will slightly vary. For example, if a nine-year-old girl asked you what is money, you might answer her with there are two different kinds of money, paper bills and coins. You can buy stuff with money, but, you, but if you were explaining money to an adult, would you say money is the medium of exchange of goods and services? While both answers are correct, you and I know there is more to money than a medium of exchange or something you simply use to buy stuff with. We make and spend money every day, yet we cannot answer this one question. I've asked people for years the following question, what does money mean to you? I'm always surprised by the answers I receive. But after asking thousands of people from countries all over the world, I have never hear the same answer. It seems something different to each person. I recall one person telling me money is the heavenly God, with another, while another said it is the devil. I have heard money explained to me by some as an expression of love and by others as a slave driver. The extreme diversity in answers to this question demonstrates that the meaning of money depends upon a person. On the surface, physical money is just a simple piece of paper or metal. However, even if all the people around you have the same faces printed on the pieces of paper and the same design stamped on each coin, it is incredible how much variety there is in the meaning it holds for each of us. When looking at that coin, some people will feel anger rising up while others feel joy. But what's really interesting is that we don't have the same emotional reaction whatsoever even when looking at toy money made for children, except perhaps Monopoly money. Why? Because the types of emotional reactions we have when playing the game for the most part are fairly consistent with how to react to real money. Since we often play the game Monopoly to win, we approach that money with the same energy and attachment we do when we spend money in real life. Who among us doesn't want to win? Or what or what we collectively think as winning in life. Earning more money, owning desirable properties, not having to pay a lot of income taxes, and avoiding going to jail. Who among us doesn't rejoice at the surprise surplus of cash or a payout of dividends when the chance card says we have won it, in the game of Monopoly or in real life? In other words, whatever our feelings toward property and money are in real life, we will attach those same feelings to Monopoly money. How do you feel about owning property, paying taxes, paying rent? Are you conservative in your purchases or do you go all out and take risks? Play the game yourself and observe yourself and others and see what emotions bubble up with each throw of the dice. If you want to see just how much emotional energy we attach to those pieces of paper and metal coins in real life, see the energy you attach to them when you are playing a game. I promise it will be real revelationary. Now, in my experience, the people who have the most fun feel the most confident and realize it's just a game always come out ahead. They may not be the most, they may, may not have the most money in the bag, but they remain unattached to the outcome of winning or having the most and enjoying the process of give and take. They focus on the feeling like a winner rather than actually winning. So how do you want to play the money game. What if I told you money is a game? How well do you play now? Would you consider yourself to be winning? Once again, winning is not how well you do financially, it is how good you feel about playing. Alright, so that's 
He's, he's brought that up like three times. So I'm assuming it's very important to him, right? Unlike Monopoly in which you move around the board in, in a consistent manner and pretty much know what to expect. Playing with your money in real life isn't so predictable. You're not moving five pieces or 12 pieces and in clockwise direction. Most of us, in fact, feel pretty lost when we're playing the real life money game. We don't know which property is going to yield the most returns. We don't know if the house we own is going to become infested with mold or a tree is going to fall on it. We don't know if a family member is going to get cancer, incur huge medical bills and lose the ability to contribute to the family income for several years while they fight the illness. We don't know if the company we work for is going to make, it, make some bad financial decisions and will have to lay us off someday. We don't know if the industry we spent our life working for will become obsolete when another disruptive industry comes in and takes over. The truth is, the game of money we're playing in real life is pretty fraught. Economic changes, family issues, natural disasters, sure, have a way of making us feel lost. In fact, most of us feel like we have, we have lost the game before. We have never got to roll a probable a, a, a proverbial dice and we are told that things could change if we just work a little hard a little smart so we do sound familiar chances are if you're reading this book you have been told these rules of engagement already work hard and money will follow let me tell you something that you you already probably know or on an instinctive level People who have more money or seem wealthier than you aren't any smarter than you or, or, or working any harder than you. A lot of people in this world have worked themselves to death and never had two nickels to rub together. Let me assure you, working hard isn't the only answer. I know a lot of smart, hardworking people who don't feel they are compensated enough and aren't winning the money game. And I also know a lot of people who feel they have enough and have nothing to worry about. Interestingly, many of these folks don't have more money than my seemingly wealthy friends. A tricky game because money rules keep changing. The money game is an interesting one. It's an interesting one. My mentor, Wahai Takade, I think, Wahai Takade, once said, there is no end in the money game. It's like baseball. Even if you're winning in the bottom of the ninth inning, that doesn't guarantee a win. An exceptional hitter can bring everyone on base home with just one crack of the bat. The money game is the same. Even if you are wealthy in your 30s or 40s, that doesn't mean something disastrous won't happen and leave you destitute and unable to retire in your 60s. We've all heard people who seem to earn enough money to last for several lifetimes but who have filed for bankruptcy. Examples abound of famous wealthy celebrities and athletes who lost everything they made and died in massive amounts of debt. Sometimes people lose their money because they've spent way beyond their means, but other times it is because the rules of money kept changing or what constitutes money changes. Look at the real estate bubble of 2008. For years before that, people were told invest in real estate, that's where the money is. Housing prices soared and the loans were easy to qualify for, but the rules changed. The housing market plummeted seemingly overnight. The houses that people owned, houses they were, sh they were sure they could sell for double the price paid uh, um, as they had in the past were worth almost nothing, all right? Absolutely nothing overnight. Now, people moved on to gold. Gold is golden. 
financial experts say when there is turmoil in every market uh, it's the safe haven theory right when there's turmoil in every market uh, but when the economy is good gold becomes a yellow metal that doesn't generate any interest if you don't need a safe haven it won't pop right we are approaching an interesting time when all sectors of the global economy are connected more than ever but the system as we know it is failing up falling apart new systems are appearing every day and even how we think of and experience money is changing for example these days everyone in in financial circles is talking about cryptocurrency it's the future and the most reliable system and yet there's a lot of chatter about hacking what seems to be the most reliable system cannot be trusted either i wonder if i can just quickly check when this book was written um i just want to quickly see uh okay it's gonna take time i just wanted to just quickly pull out the publication here you know how soon how soon crypto was, was, was when you brought crypto up, you know, was it in its early days? Was it Bitcoin in 2012? Uh, all right. Anyways, it's okay. No problem. No worries. Let's find where I was. I apologize for that. Uh, where does all the money go? I have lost my page. I've lost my page. So what should we do? Tricky game. All right. There we go. So, so, so what seems to be the most reliable system can be, cannot be trusted either. Right. There are so many experts and financial gurus out there claiming to know where the next best place to invest your money is or how to make more money and many of the gurus are saying the opposite thing. So what or who can you trust? When it comes to money, what if anything is in, what if anything is in your control? I would venture to say how we feel about money is what we can control. And that has more to do with our feelings about being wealthy than any real estate, stock, gold, cryptocurrency market out there. All right, so how we feel about money, right? I would venture to say how we feel about money is what we can control. When you hear me repeating, guys, it's just that I got new copies for the podcast. So all my old copies of books I've read um, um, are full of notes and highlights. So I'm re-highlighting this as I read with you. That's the pause I, I, I do. Uh, because if I use my old copies, I'm scared that I might just rush through and skip and, and, and assume that I know everything about the book, which prevents me from learning something new right now as I reread some of these books with you. Okay, now, what is money really? True, there was a time where the form of money used to be simpler. Just 150 years ago when people wanted to buy something at a market they paid in cash at that time They only had bills and coins now. We have checks bank accounts credit cards Vinimo PayPal cryptocurrency the money we use at a grocery store and the money that travels electronically on Wall Street seems very different today from that of in the centuries past there was a time not long ago when people stuck their money under mattresses or the safes in their homes they had to see the, they had to see and touch the money regularly to know that it was there and in their position. However, money is just a symbol when you think about it. We rarely see it or touch it in its printed form today. We only need to click on our phones and we see our bank statements to know that our money exists. Most of us receive money through our bank accounts and then we spend it with a credit card. It is uncommon to go days, weeks, months without ever needing to touch cash. In most parts of Asia, Japan in particular, people rarely carry wallets anymore because every transaction is easily taken with their smartphones. 
Simultaneously, billions of dollars, euros, marks, and yen are being traded all over the world. We cannot perceive that the money we use every day and the money traveling around the electronic world are the same. Today, a hedge fund manager can make the equivalent of somebody's annual income in just a few minutes. It's just trading, investing, trading, investing. These things confound us. How is it even possible? So where is your money? The concept of money is actually quite vague. When you think about it, the money you think you have in the bank is not really there. Once you deposit your money, the banks lend it to someone else. Facts. So physically, your money is no longer there. And all that remains are those numbers you saw when you checked your bank account on your smartphone. Let's try this thought experiment. You may think you have money, but what if it's an illusion? As scary as it is the sun. Suppose we check your statement one day and there is no money there. You haven't spent it. It's just gone. You call the bank. Where is my money? And the bank says you don't have any money in the account. How would you be able to prove otherwise? Do you have records of the deposits made? Sure. Do you have transaction histories? Sure. But what if the bank says it doesn't have any of that? How do you prove hours you worked and the interest you incurred and the amount of money you de deposited? Imagine how you would feel if, all, if it all disappeared. Now let's think of the money you owe, college loans, credit card debt, mortgages. Maybe you feel burdened by these loans. Now, just as you imagined, the money you have in your checking or savings account was an illusion of sorts. Imagine that your loans and debts are illusions too. What if they are all just disappeared? We don't quite have the same angst about this type of illusions. Disappearing that we do when we have money disappears. We don't quite have the same angst about these types of illusions disappearing. That we do when our money disappears. Go figure. Most of us, however, trust the system we operate in. We trust that the banks will give us our money back when we ask for it. And we trust that we owe the amount of our loans and that we have to pay them. We feel safe that our money is in the bank and we feel stressed that if we have loans to pay off, we feel stressed that we have loans to pay off. Now that we seem to know where our money is, we have to ask ourselves, what is it for, really? And where does it really seem to go? Where does all your money go? All our lives we study, work hard, pay taxes, but after paying all the bills, most of us have very little at the end of each month. We have college loans, car loans, car payments, credit card, debt cards, mortgages, all of which feel like an enormous burden with no relief in sight. And then, as if to aid insult to injury compared to our income, there is never enough for us to spend on what we are supposed to have. We are bombarded by advertising at every turn of these supposedly must-have items. We need the newest model, luxurious car we have bought. The old SUV won't do anymore. We need upgrades to our phones. We have friends who have traveled to exotic locations and taken families to Disney World. Not once, but every year. And we feel like we are missing out if we don't make the trip ourselves. There is even a term for this now, FOMO, fear of missing out. Everyone has a case of FOMO these days, whether it's cosmetic cream or a dress or a suit that will make us more handsome, more beautiful or richer looking, we just have to buy it or we are missing out. The list is endless. New home improvements, new gadgets, new shoes, new experiences. It's all new, new, new all the time. We are constantly told by advertisers, television shows and even our friends that what we have isn't good enough anymore. True, we are not going to die if we don't have any of these things, but our kids just might. 
what parents what what parent hasn't heard i'll just die if i don't have what my friend insert his name has or everyone but me has dash 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 insert whatever the latest fashion gadget or trend and i'll look like a loser if i don't have it please mom and dad can i have it and kids aren't the only ones who do this we all know someone who's always bragging about their latest purchase and then we go back to our own homes and think to ourselves well this television which i loved until an hour ago is cheap and outdated and i need a new one too and when we can't afford those things that our friends have we get confused and upset we see people of privilege enjoying life without doing anything or so we tell ourselves we get angry i work just as hard if not harder i deserve good things too we complain we tell ourselves we are doing everything right but we still don't have enough it's never enough someone always has something better someone is always doing more something is not right it's just not fair we say when my daughter was young i moved my family to boston for a year for my daughter's education at the time she didn't speak much english and came home one day and asked me about a phrase she kept hearing throughout the day she said dad everyone daddy everyone said this one sentence and i want to know what it means I asked her what it was. She then told me the sentence the kids were using all day was, it's not fair. I couldn't help but smile. Yes, when it comes to money and life all over the world, we feel and hear it's not fair on a regular basis. Children hear their parents say it at home, it's not fair that so-and-so makes more than me. It's not fair how hard I work and how little I get paid for my efforts. And then our kids go to school and see a child playing with the doll they desire and saying it's not fair that she has that doll right now and i don't oh it's not fair that he gets to be on the swing for all the recess and i don't and a teacher must have to be called in and explain to the children there's enough time for everyone to ride on the swings just wait your turn or there are plenty of other toys to play with let's go find one the teacher is correct there's enough time and there are enough swings toys dolls but children cannot see that they see only what they don't have what they aren't doing just as their parents are seeing only what they don't have and what they aren't doing this is what we call the myth of scarcity the myth of scarcity people everywhere in the world feel they are not treated fairly many of us believe that it is a zero-sum game if someone else has something then we can't have it we believe that if others have a lot of money they are automatically depriving us of money we attach a lot of negative emotions to the money when we think of it this way the scarcity mindset is a belief that there are limited resources in the world and if we don't get what we want when we want it someone else will i'll remind you in the first book that we ever read the science of getting rich in chapter four five or six because he repeats himself quite a bit he kept telling you that the supply is not limited right the, the, so, so the supply and the reason why he brought that up in the science of getting rich is because once you understand that the supply is not limited if you remember in book one he was breaking us out of the systematic habit of being 
competitors and not being creators and it's it, the, the, the supply the perception that the supply is limited limited riches or that you need to be a scammer or overcharge people unfairly so you can get ahead is part of the myth of scarcity right the scarcity mindset is a belief that there is a limited resources in the world and if we don't get what we want when we want it someone else will we have to get it soon because it's running out and if it's running out we have to do everything in our power to make sure we get it before everyone else does all sorts of negative influences drive our behavior when we think like this we operate out of fear jealousy and greed we take what we can get whenever we can get it and we don't think about how it affects others or the greater good but this way of thinking never serves us for very long because we don't get what we want. It is still never enough because there's always going to be something bigger, better, and more desirable out there. All right, something bigger, better, more desirable out there. And if we don't have uh, that either, we will be missing out. It, it's an endless cycle that keeps us trapped in a never-ending process of accumulation and spending and wanting more. One of the greatest books about the scarcity mindset and its devastating consequences is The Soul of Money, Transforming the Relationship with Money and Life by my friend uh, Leanne Twist, a global activist and the founder of Palmer Alliance. You know, maybe I don't own a copy of this book, but maybe we should get one for the podcast. I think we should get this book. I've never read it before. Um, I, I've seen him referred to this friend of his, but anyways, we'll get it. Lynn is recognized throughout the world for her insights and her achievements in helping alleviate global hunger, ensure women's rights and inspire people. Uh, to live lives of integrity, generosity of spirit, abundance. She writes, this internal condition of scarcity, this mindset of scarcity lives at the very heart of our jealousies, our greed, our prejudices and, and our arguments with life. Every argument, every prejudice, every petty disagreement comes down to the idea that someone is getting something I am not, which is at the heart of scarcity. Therefore, to overcome jealousy, fear, greed, prejudice, we must eliminate the idea of scarcity, the idea that things just aren't fair. The reason my daughter was hearing it is not fair all day was that in, in every instance, the children were looking at how they did, didn't have and not what they did. Imagine the child who wanted the doll finally did get the doll and... I have no doubt that while that child was playing with the doll, another child had not only a doll, but also a, a courage of doll. Well, that's just not fair. And the same goes for adults. We have a house, we have a car, we have clothes, but our neighbors have more expensive clothes with fashionable levels on them, bigger homes and more expensive, flashier cars. They are wealthy, they have more, and if they have more, and then I have no chance of getting it. They have taken a big piece of the pie. But have they? Let's look at this a little more in depth. Losing our peace of mind because of money. How many dreams and marriages have been torn apart because of money? How much peace of mind have we lost? More than we should. When I ask a room full of people about, uh, shake my hand, man. Shake my hand, good to see you. 
uh, uh, well, when I ask a room full of people about stressful children, uh, about stressful childhood experiences related to money, I inevitably hear something along the lines of, I wanted to, tell, to, to take ballet classes, but my mom told me we couldn't afford it. Substitute ballet with baseball, gymnastics, ice skating, or a number of hobbies we dreamed of pursuing as children. And it's safe to say we have all heard the story in one form or another. A counterintuitive as it sounds, as counterintuitive as it sounds, those among us whose parents told us directly that we were too poor when we were young should consider ourselves lucky. Sure, we may now feel resentment toward money, but at least we don't, we don't continue to blame ourselves for our parents' money troubles. Some unfortunate children suffered needlessly and feel like it is their fault their parents are poor. Their parents constantly complain about how much it costs to provide for them. That's terrible. Uh, 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 some, some even go as far as to say, I would be rich if it weren't for you kids. Goodness gracious. And then their parents will operate in more passive aggressive damaging ways out of embarrassment or anger over their financial circumstances. These parents tell their kids that the reason that they can't take those hockey lessons is because they never follow through on anything or worse, they aren't talented enough if uh, enough and it would be a waste of money. What what does what and what does a child think when he or she hears that I am a waste of money. This painful distortion of the truth is more likely the intentional result of the parent's psychological issues than an attempt at manipulation. But the end result is the same. The children of parents who come to associate money, the children of parents who come to associate money with pain and suffering and they internalize it so much that they believe they are the root cause of their suffering. Talk about emotional baggage. Rooting our emotional baggage related to money. Does money help you with whatever you want to do? Or is it an obstacle that always gets in your way? Because of money, have you been able to start your dream project or leave your unsatisfying job? Do you like money? Does money like you? What stories do you tell yourself about money? Do you find yourself saying the things your parents did about money? There's never enough. I wish I had more. I work so hard and still don't earn enough. Money, as we said earlier, comes in various forms, but it is simply an object in its simplest state. Yet we project so many feelings onto money. I actually feel a little sorry for money because it is an easy target of resentment and jealousy always gets blamed for the wrongdoings of humankind. But it is not the problem. It is not money that's the problem. We are the problem. For some people, money means security. For others, money is a monster that can rip them apart at any moment. We still, for, for, for still others in a symbol of freedom, or it represents control exerted over them by their bosses, parents, or family. By checking whatever feeling you project onto money, you can recognize your own emotional baggage. If you do that, you can see more clearly why this is so difficult because getting into that place takes a lot of understanding and introspection. It means digging deep and figuring out what your own beliefs about money are, understanding how you develop these beliefs and ultimately discovering what money means to you. Three functions of money. Confusion about money is what, uh, uh, what it means to us uh, is often closely linked to a feeling. All right. 
we may feel used, discarded, or taken advantage of. We feel like life is unfair. We feel unworthy and diminished. We feel that others have more than we do. A lot of these feelings result from functions of money. Money primarily serves three functions. The function of exchange. Most people can relate to this because we use money in exchange for something. It cannot be food, a train ticket, or an hour of massage therapy. This exchange function gives money power because once we obtain money, we feel like we can exchange it for anything. Like it is almost automatic uh, process or an innate desire. Since inherently we need things to survive, food, clothing, shelter, we need a means to obtain those things, money. We don't have enough money to do so, we panic. We feel like our lives and our families live in, uh, lives are in, in peril uh, and everything related to money, earning and spending becomes stressful. Oh, been there, man, been there. Now, the function of saving. So, first of all, function number one is the function of exchange. You use money to exchange it for stuff. Function number two, function of saving. Another reason people want to hold on to their money is that they want to preserve its value and by extension, their own value. For example, in a stone age, humans hunted giant mammoths. If they didn't eat an entire mammoth immediately or figure out a way to store it or to make use of its parts, it would decay and the work and the effort of mammoths tracking and tracking the beast would go to waste. In order to preserve the value of their work and effort, they had to, to save, use or trade the meat. And the same goes for us. We don't want our labor to be in vain. We want to, it to retain its value. We want to see money in the bank after a, a hard work week. We want to see savings accrue after years of dedicating service. In other words, we want to have something to show for our life's work. We want it to mean something. We, when, we work, when we work week after week, after year after year, and have nothing to show for it, we become dejected and depressed and feel like our lives lack meaning. We equate one's life's worth to his net worth. Function number three, the function of growth. There is a core of capitalism. If you deposit money, it generates interest. This is the core of capitalism. You deposit money, it generates interest. So if you have money invested, it grows like a living thing. People who have more money get more. This is why the wealthy get wealthier. Most of us confuse this concept because it means that hard work and effort have little to do with one's success. We also feel excluded. If we don't have any money left over to invest at the end of each month, but we now know the 10% rule. We also now know that we must live under the 7 tenths rule. And if you've got debt, two tenths go towards that, right? But we already know this stuff before reading this book from the richest man of Babylon. Now, we can feel excluded if we don't have any money left over to invest. We know that to invest, we got to pay ourselves first the 10% at the end of each month. After paying our bills, how on earth will we generate enough money to accrue wealth? It is easy to see why the functions of money can make us feel inadequate or like the deck is stacked against us before we even begin to play the card game. But even if that feels true, it doesn't stop us from trying to make more money or wanting it, right? So if money is such trouble, why do we also seem to want more money in the first place? Six reasons people want money. Everyone wants money, 
everyone wants more money. When you randomly ask a person what they want most, they will often reply, money. They can decide exactly how to use it later. Why do we want money so much? What are the underlying motivations that keep us constantly feeling in, in need of money? Once you can put into perspective the emotional reason of wanting money, you will start to feel more connected to your own needs and less stressed about money. All right, very important. I'll do, I'll read that again. Once we can put into perspective, it's like your homework, my homework, your emotional reasons for wanting money, you will start to feel more connected to your own needs and less stressed about money. This is how we can be released from money's control over you. Over the years, I've observed many reasons why people think they want money. I've recognized some distinct patterns which I'm going to describe as the six reasons why people want money. There's always an emotional drive behind wanting money. But if we become disconnected from the underlying emotions, we can, we, we can get stuck in a cycle of trying to make money without understanding what we really need. All right. So these are the six reasons uh, of why he thinks people need money. Reason number one, to maintain a basic standard of living. We all need shelter, clothes, food, and food to eat, a way to cook it. In the past, people attributed their livelihood and their good farmland and forest, but today it is money that delivers us to the things we need. When most people are asked why they are working, they will reply to put food on the table. It is important to understand the difference between that and what we are supposed to be doing, or, or rather what we consider to be the main bare minimum of what we consider luxury. I have met many people who, uh, who were making good salaries but constantly felt like they just had enough to put food on the table and keep a roof over their heads. When I looked at how they were spending their money, they had a house, at the highest limit of their price range and new car and expensive lease and spend a huge percent of their monthly income on food and entertainment. They also often had a home full of things they didn't actually use. The problem is that people connect money directly to survival. So whenever they feel like they have a need, their instinct is to turn to money and buy something. The problem is that people connect money directly to survival. Also, whenever they feel they have a need, their instinct is to turn to money and buy something. Reason number two, to gain power. Money often seen as something that has the power to control people and make them do things. So if it is not surprising that we, we, we regard rich people as powerful. But being powerful doesn't mean that you're in control, nor does it mean happiness. When we confess when we confuse money and the power in this way, we never satisfy our need to feel in control of our own lives and are left always wanting more power and thus more money. And just like there is always someone with more money, there is always someone with more power. The corruptive and addictive force brings all kinds of negative emotions that block true happiness from our lives. 
Sometimes I meet very ambitious young people and they say things to me about how they want to build a business empire and become one of the wealthiest people in the world. But what they don't understand is that even though wealth brings some power, money is not a replacement for the things like integrity, trust and genuine love. You will never be able to win the hearts of people with money alone. I have come across many people who are powerful in their business and society but who feel powerless in their close relationships and in their own state of mind. Reason number three, to get back at others. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing because I was, this is where I was. I wanted to, to, to really go after all the people who made my life terrible when I did not have money, when I was in debt, like people who evicted me and my little family, people who put us on the floor. I wanted to literally, the first, my first thought was I would literally accumulate enough and just go buy their properties and become their landlords and fix them, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah, anyways, I understand. All kinds of people, rich or poor, feel abused by others at times. If, you are the, if they are poor, they feel robbed of certain privileges. If they are rich, they feel disrespected or excluded by their peers. People who feel slighted by society can then be tempted to see money as a way to get revenge as those who held them back or made them suffer. But the bullies are just in their minds. The person who is really judging them is themselves. And yet, when they buy things to compete with others, not realizing that no one is really competing against them, even people who can't afford very expensive things can get wrapped up in the material items to puff themselves up as superior to others just on a small scale. It's very true. Some self-made millionaires try to show off their wealth as a way to compensate for other insecurities. But no matter how much they make or spend, their self-esteem never improves. They constantly feel that others are looking down upon them and talking about them behind their backs. Reason number four, to find freedom. Some people think that money can buy freedom. When we think of freedom, we usually imagine a life without a job and with the ability to go anywhere in the world and to do anything we want. And we live freely like that. You have to have tons of money. To live freely like that, you have to have tons of money. But freedom cannot be bought with money. Even if you have all the money in the world, if your mind is not free, you lose the real advantages of that wealth. Unless you are able to find freedom in the present moment, you will always come back to the same emotional states, even after you win the lottery or get a huge inheritance. Money can buy things that will make you feel happy temporarily, but without true fulfillment that comes from within your, your, your true freedom will escape you. The truth is that many of us have more freedom and more options than we might even realize. If we get stuck, however, believing that our modest bank account means we only have the modest freedom, we are bound to miss out on the true potential for happiness. Getting a high paying job or a big contract or even winning the lottery is not a path to freedom. You probably don't need more money in the bank to free yourself. Number five. Reason number five, to gain love and attention. Money can attract love and attention, but relationships gained through money are fragile and superficial at best. When the money runs out, the love, respect, and the friendship go with it. And even though money can attract love, it is so often has the opposite effect. 
People are often repulsed by others who flaunt their money or expect special treatment because they are wealthy and that it is because money is not all that people acquire or want to live happily. We require the things that are found at a deeper level. When you try to gain love through your money, you base all your net worth on how much you have. Uh, and though it, it will impress some people, it comes down to it. Most people look for more in a friend or a lover than just wealth. So when your money fails to create deep lust in relationships, your self-worth will suffer and all the money you have made won't be able to improve it. People in this situation tend to start feeling paranoid about their friends they do have. They, to, they think that people want them around only because they have money. But money is what these people use to get to respect and friendships in the first place. Now, reason number six, to express love and appreciation. Money is just a neutral energy. It can be a weapon when used with resentment and anger, or it can nurture love and care. Money is a vehicle for our emotions and attitudes. People want money so they can express the love and appreciation they feel in their lives. This is an ideal reason to accumulate money. But there is actually something we should be careful about here. Alright? If I can just quickly highlight one or two things. Just because you don't have a lot of money, don't think you cannot express love and gratitude for people. Big gifts are exciting, but we are really moved by the intention and the feeling behind them. The amount of love given is not equal to the size of expense of a gift. We remember the emotional connections of our deep trust in people and the memories we have together. And the energy of a positive relationship turns ordinary money into happy money. The energy of a positive relationship turns ordinary money, which is a neutral energy, into happy money. Now, so when you do have the chance to use money in an act of love, you can't be sure that money, that is money well invested. Happy money compounds a higher rate of interest. The person you give it to uses it to generate more and more and eventually comes back to you. What matters is how the money inspires action. How happy are you with the money you have currently? Are you happy with your financial situation now? Do you feel blessed and energized about life when you think of money? Or do you feel frustrated when you think of money? Do you think the reason you, 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 you chose in the previous section has anything to do with your current relationship or feeling towards money? I'm going to share a little something with you. It doesn't matter how much you have or make. It is your feelings about money that determine your wealth. If you don't have a wealthy attitude and you feel negative about money, then no amount of money in the blank is going to change your relationship with money. What's in your wallet? If there is indeed happy money and unhappy money, what kind of money are you carrying around? Check your wallet just as a mysterious, just as a mysterious wallet woman asks me to do. Even though you cannot see the smile of the money physically, you can pretty much guess if it's smiling or not. 
If you're happy with your work and life, your money is more than likely smiling in your wallet. If you hate your job and always complain about something in your life, your money is crying and angry in your wallet. If all, all, if, sorry, in your wallet, we all want our money to smile. If it isn't, then you have to ask yourself, what is wrong with my life? You may not be satisfied. Sorry, so I'm trying to, I just, I'm reading while trying to also like, you know, secure some good points for myself here. So I'm highlighting as I go. You may not be so, so satisfied with how much you make or how much you have. You may feel that your partner doesn't appreciate your hard work and complains too much about the little money you have. If money were a person, who would it be? If money were a person, there would be several personas it could have. What would your money personification be? Would that person be gentle and kind or mean and unfriendly? Remember your experiences in the past. For some people, money can be a cruel force that derives from many opportunities. Money may have given others all they ever needed and wanted. Perhaps money gave you a few surprises too in the past. Maybe it came through through your grand parents, a few scholarships, some foundations, or a generous bonus at work of a tough work quarter. If money has always been kind to you, you feel safe knowing it will always be there in the future. If money has always been kind to you, right, it, you will always feel safe knowing it will be there for you in the future. When people have had great experiences with money, as in, they could always count on it being there and trust that it will be there in the future, chances are they are having a great life, all right? Now, they may not be wealthy, but seem to feel blessed. Things just work out for them. When they imagine the future, it is not difficult to see a bright one. For those who have not had good experiences with money, I am sorry that life's been unfair. I'm sorry that things weren't easy in the past, but I can assure you that doesn't mean your future is fixed or that you can't turn your life around or, changes or, or change your feelings toward money. Money can be bad, but if you can also be good, can also be good, in fact, very good. You may wonder why it is so different to different people. You may wonder, you may be wondering why some people have parents who help them pay for college and others seem to have the needs met while others struggle to put food on the table. I believe money changes its character according to the places and whose hands it's in. So when you are fearful, you project fear in money. Money is no friend to you. If you are happy, money is more likely to be a joyful force. It is always going to be there for you. If money has been tainted for generations with negative thoughts and beliefs like those of scarcity, then you can be sure it, you will never have enough money unless of course you change the energy money uh, you make receives and give away now let me just stop here guys because i know there's quite a lot that we've kind of like gone through i'm not stopping the podcast yet i'm just stopping to pause and reflect i woke up this morning very early as i usually do and i you know you know i was i was scrolling and i and i came across the saddest saddest news uh in the world you know I've, i actually was surprised at how, how connected i felt right but uh, Bob Proctor has passed on. Bob Proctor of Proctor Gala Institute um, um, has passed away. Bob Proctor is 
honestly the main reason why at some point in time when I finally learned how to trade and understand financial markets I decided to start teaching it that's that's that the, the concept of passing on the torch the concept of doing more for others in service than you get from them in cash value the 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 abrupt proctor as far as I can tell is the was I mean given he's passed away was one of the most leading uh, and previously leaving students of Napoleon Hill right and, and that's what I want my pedigree to be of I really want to be intellectually associated with the likes of Napoleon Hill Bob Proctor and it's such a sad time uh, you know in the world I think at least for those of us who understand the teachings of Napoleon Hill and how Bob Proctor revolutionized those teachings to suit our much more contemporary times I mean in the podcast we're gonna go through almost every single Bob Proctor book on finance and thinking because they are phenomenal I only saw a massive difference through through how Bob Proctor interpreted you know Napoleon Hill's work and I'm bringing this up because Ken Honda you know and rest, rest in peace Bob Proctor Ken Honda keeps talking about money and it's getting like fairyland right it's, it's starting to feel like hocus pocus stuff and I know people's minds I know the human rational is quick to shut off if you haven't even muted me now and if you're still watching I appreciate you if you're still listening on Spotify I appreciate you but I want you to know that right now you're going up a hill right and, and, and you need to get to the other side of this hill by just powering through this stuff because if all of a sudden you're hearing this I believe that money changes character according to places whose hands it's in so when you are fearful you project fear onto money if that doesn't resonate with you if it doesn't hit you to your core and thereby or therefore I'm assuming it's because you don't believe it right you don't believe that money does these things money is energy what's this guy talking about you're going to miss the bigger point so once again just the same way you know I learned from Bob Proctor who I never met just followed his teachings watched all his videos read all his books and just kept repeating that stuff until it was you know I identified with it I want you to know that let's once again please with these type of authors let's see the book to the end let's gather the principles let's go test them before we write them off all right so money is energy and bob proctor is the king of vibration frequency right if you go through his teachings he is the absolute king of vibration of energy and how these things actually come about right so so i'm saying to you stick with ken honda on this if you are happy money is more likely to be a joyful force it is always going to be there for you if money has tainted for generations of negative thoughts and beliefs like those of scarcity then you can be sure you'll never have enough money there's another guy called kevin durant who who i absolutely absolutely enjoy and he's got this simple 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 thing when it comes to money all right money generally is attracted to a very good person all right it is it's just that simple now if you are happy money is more likely to be joyful so Kevin has got the scale and the scale is quite simple it's called feel good now at the very beginning of any type of frequency vibration thinking in a certain way attracting what you want um, however you want to phrase it you have to be at a feel good now place and for human beings I have come to realize in the last four years as I was just trying to teach this to my inner circle feel good now is a complicated concept by definition it's simple 
if you are sad right now, you're sad, you're feeling sad, you need to put maximum effort to just feel good right now. Just stop being sad and be okay. If you are depressed, you want to work from being depressed to being sad. If you're sad, you want to be okay. If you're just okay, you want to be happy. If you're just happy, you want to be excited and positive. Feel good now. It's something that you almost need to guide your everyday life around, right? It's a, it's, guys, it's so important. But let me finish this chapter. Let me finish this chapter. Now, each of us are stuck in a unique money dilemma. The author continues. I have friends from all walks of life. I have friends who live as far away from money as possible and I, and, and I enjoy life in a forest. They're growing their own food and spend only $1,000 a year. They do virtually everything without money, using it only for medical supplies and miscellaneous items that they can't grow or make themselves. I have another friend who are extremely, uh, 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 friends who are extremely affluent and think nothing of spending $1,000 on wine or casual lunch. I have friends who are elite experts in their fields, doctors, lawyers, and successful business owners who have several public companies. I have friends who own mom and pop-up drugstores and small shops, work in factories, drive trucks, or do physical labor. No matter whom I talk to from any walk of life, when I'm interviewing them, invariably they start complaining about their life and ask me for advice. And without exception, both the rich and poor have similar worries and concerns and almost all always feel overwhelmed by money. But for the different reasons, right? The super rich don't worry so much about money at the moment. They worry about their future. They admit that they're afraid their success may not last forever. They, they have seen many people who have failed on their way to the top and, they, and who have either lost all that they earned or were in a bad situation. They worry about their kids and complain about how they are not handling money prudently. Even all the money in the world doesn't prevent people from worrying about money. Yet, people with seemingly moderate amounts also have worries and complaints. People in the middle class tend to complain about money in a different way. Their biggest frustration is that the demand for their money and resources is often larger than their income. They feel stretched uh, 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 by the pressure of expenses. This is exacerbated if they have kids. They are in a constant battle with their children about allowances and how much to spend. On top of that, they have money of their own. Sorry, on top of that, they have to save for their kids' education and worry that they won't have enough money for their own good, comfortable, happy retirement. On top of all of this, they are pressed of time. They spend every waking moment either working for or worrying about money and, and how to balance it all. Those in the lower middle class often feel like they are often being taken advantage of. Somebody is always trying to get something for nothing uh, from them. They are feeling, they feel marginalized and undervalued um, um, in, in the working world. They, they don't think that, you know, the rich people who hire them realize the sacrifices they make all work hard for little or while they rich enjoy the fruits of their labor. And finally, the financially challenged or poor are the most struggling to survive and can't even see past the need to get by. Money, never mind that having too much of it can cause problems and worries, is a mystery, is a, is a mystery to them. 
you often hear people say, I did like to have those rich people problems, right? Yes, yes, to a poor person uh, who is hungry, a rich man's problems don't seem so terrible. Regardless of our situation and our financial status in life, we are all affected by money one way or another. And how we react to our situation can make us happy or unhappy. So can, so can money buy happiness? People often hear the common expression, money can't buy happiness. If this is true, then why are so many people clamoring to make more money? You know, do they want to be unhappy? Why do so many people want more money desperately? Why do, so, why do some even go as far as to commit crimes in order to get more? Needless to say, there are some great benefits to having money. When you ask five-year-old kids what they want, they usually answer something tangible like candies or toys. But if you then ask a 10-year-old kid, they may say, money, I'll decide what I want to buy with it later. So even young kids seem to figure out early that money is like a form of magic wand that can create miracles. It will turn into whatever you want it to be. At the same time, we know money cannot buy happiness. Maybe we want to believe this to comfort ourselves when we don't have money. Yet, when we hear that some friends won money in the lottery or inherited money from a distant relative, we feel a pang of jealousy. When, when we were fine moments before we heard the news, but as soon as we find out someone got something we didn't, suddenly it doesn't feel so okay anymore. So we say money can't buy happiness and we feel a little better about our plight without the mega million jackpot payout. Taking a Zen approach to happiness and money. The Zen approach to happiness invites us to think about ourselves or in terms of what we do or what we, what we do or what we, we, we are worth or what we have, right? But in terms of who we are, the Zen approach to happiness invites us to think about ourselves not in terms of what we do or what we are worth or what we have, but in terms of who we are and what we are, human beings, our purpose as humans to be. What does that mean? It means being present in the moment. It means being fully, only two more pages guys, it means being fully grateful and in the alignment where our bodies and minds are at one time if you are present in the moment you are thinking about the past, your, your past, your mistakes, your issues, the harm done to you and getting angry about it. And if you are present, you are not thinking about the future. It's unexpected outcomes, it's potential for disaster. If you are not thinking about the future, you are not anxious, you are not fearful, you are not stressed. So much of our stress, anxiety and happiness about money comes from thinking about our past mistakes mistakes or harm done to us, right, and needlessly worry about all the uncertainty of the future. Our past and future selves rob our present selves of happiness when we allow ourselves to get derailed uh, by these negative thoughts. Happiness then truly comes from within. So when we agree that money cannot buy happiness, nothing can. However, I will contend that it is a lot easier to be present and free from anger about the past and worry about the future if money isn't such an overwhelming force in one's life. 
I have interviewed so many people for, for my books. He's written a lot of books, by the way, a lot, about 50 books, give or take. And not all of them are necessarily financially well off. Yet after interviewing them all, I did come to this conclusion. Money cannot buy happiness, but money certainly erases the discomfort in life, right? In other words, the less worry and stress you have, the more time you have to be, to be, to be present, right? So you will need money to almost slow down all these problems in your life so that you can be more present. Remember here he's telling us about the Zen, taking a Zen approach to happiness and money and thus focusing on what we are, you know, and we are human beings, right? And, and to be a human being is just to be, is to exist. There's a technique called mindfulness that I try and practice every day. I haven't been good with it every day, but it's part of a short-term meditation practice on how to constantly remain mindful, to be, to exist just as a person, right? And he says, look, man, money can't buy happiness, but money certainly eases, right? Takes, takes, takes the load off of the discomfort in life. In other words, the less you worry and stress you have, the more time you have to be. If you have money, you don't have to worry all the time about whether you can pay the bills or at the end of the month. You can treat your friends to something you want. You can gift it to your potential partner. Not, though money certainly helps, it is not essential to happiness. There are several studies about how much one earns in its relationship to happiness. And they always show that people's happiness levels goes up as their income goes up but only up to about $75,000. Beyond this threshold, one's level of happiness doesn't go higher. And, and with any more income, okay, so, so basically there's a, a financial threshold. So 75,000 US dollars is about over, over a million and something in rands. So maybe, I don't know, I don't have a calculator in front of me, but about one point something million in rands. I, and let's just make that an annual figure. If you make that an annual figure in South Africa, then that's about, 60 to 70 to 80,000 rands per month, give or take. And so his argument here is, I'm just checking this for you. Yeah, I'm correct. It's 1 million and 160,000 rands annually. So he's saying, look, man, from this study, it seems like absolutely the more one earns, you know, the more they can slowly start to increase their happiness. But there's a threshold because the, the threshold is once upon a time, at some point in time, you now have all the cars you want. You now have a house. I mean, you, I mean, if you're looking at your basic stuff, and so that threshold only goes up to about seventy-five thousand bucks, which is about one million, one million hundred sixty thousand rands. If you if you invert, beyond this threshold, one's level of happiness doesn't go any higher uh, anymore when income keeps going up because there will be more money-related stress compared to the joy that money brings into one's life. When I talk about this in, the New, York, in New York and in Tokyo, I get the same response. Everyone says there's no way you can make a happy living with that little money, and this can be true. The cost of living varies depending on where you live, but important thing you should know is that making more money doesn't guarantee happiness. This may make you wonder about people who make less than 75,000 US dollars in a year. The truth is I have met people who are happy even though they can barely make ends meet. How do they do it? It's because they have a good relationship with money. And what's a good relationship with money? It doesn't define who they are. They don't need it to keep up with the Jones and they don't stress about 
the future or things that they cannot control. They don't believe in the myth of scarcity. They know they will always have enough of what they need when they need it. They are okay with where they are and who they are. If you go back to book one, this is literally the hack. This is the law of polarity. Remaining consistently grateful for what you have puts you in perfect harmony with the formless substance. It's very, very important. These books are linked, right? So it's actually amazing. Amazing how you can read a book from the 1930s, read a book from the, from the early 2000s, uh, one from China, one from America, one from Africa, and as long as they are talking about actual real wealth creation, the same principles keep coming up. Right? They aren't hypnotized into thinking that they are having a bigger house or a flashier car is going somehow magically transform their life. Right? They take and take all away their problems. They know they have something to say about their own happiness. Money doesn't control or have power over them. They have power over it. Most important, they aren't afraid of money. Afraid of money? Who's afraid of money? More people than you realize are afraid of money. Love or fear? Your relationship with money. Some time ago, I translated Dr. Gerald Jamplowski's best-selling book, Love is in Letting Go of Fear, in which he contends that there are two kinds of communication, love and fear. And I contended that when it comes to money, there are two approaches to it, love or fear. When it comes to money, there are two approaches for it, love or fear. When you earn and spend money, you do it either with love or fear. For example, we are afraid of money all the time. We are afraid that we, ha we, ha we have, may not have enough for the rainy day. We are afraid we may lose it. We are afraid others may have more than we do or others uh, earn more than we get more, they will be less for us. We are afraid we might lose our jobs. If we did, how would we pay the bills? Even when we spend money, we do out of fear. If I am not spending my money in deliberate or smart ways, I will lose my money. Sometimes we feel pressure when we spend money. We are afraid we are, we are being taken advantage of, scammed, or we are spending too much. Or if we get the wrong thing and don't like you know it for a few months we worry that we that we buy one thing we won't have another for something else many of us let fear creep into our decisions without even realizing it granted some of us some of these fears are rational and therefore a reason the fears are tied to survival if we mess up with money we won't have a place to live food to eat or clothes to wear some people are born with strong sense of fear or or it is cultivated in their homes by their parents and relatives who have a negative or fear-based relationship with money, while others don't have any fear at all. It doesn't seem to cross their minds that money will ever run out. Since we were very small, we have been told to do the right thing we, with our money. Our parents didn't even know what that meant, but it didn't stop them from saying it. We were scolded about money, about what we spent on, how much we lost, how careless we were with it. We carry those fears with us into adulthood without even realizing it or recognizing how much fear is attached to our actions with money. Unfortunately, our current financial system is based on fear. Our society based on fear, our education systems, workplaces and possible home lives too. We fear doing the wrong thing and being punished. We fear that others have what we don't have, so we become greedy. We fear resources are limited or scarce. 
and so we take more than we wish we should and waste more than we should we fear that other children will get ahead of ours and have more advantages so we send our kids to expensive schools and then complain about paying taxes for public schools we are fearful enough that our kids will misbehave or embarrass us and we scold them and control them needless to say using fear is to an effective is not an effective way to get what you want it is often destructive and causes lasting harm fear is not an effective way to get what we want it's often destructive and causes lasting harm in a sense it is no surprise that many of us are fearful around money it is the automatic response if you don't pay attention to your mind you will be hardly aware that fear is what motivates your actions whether it be at home or at work in our community or in the way you behaving with money what it means to have a loving abundant relationship with money what it means to have a loving abundant relationship with money this is the last section of the chapter it's just a page long the opposite of fear is love the opposite of fear is love. To love is to have no fear that something will harm or leave you. It requires you trust and believe that whoever is the object of your love will always be there. Most of us are told that our parents love us, but their methods of loving might have been expressed more like fear. The anxiety and worry held us back from trying new things. Their worry about money prevented them from letting us take chances in our careers or relationships. Fear looks and sounds like control. Love, on the other hand, feels like the opposite. It is unconditional acceptance. It's a willingness to trust that the things will work out. It feels like letting go. Love feels like just being in the moment. No anger about the past. No worries about the future. You are happy to be here now. You are grateful. Intensely grateful for all you have. And where there is gratitude, there is joy and enthusiasm. A joy and enthusiasm makes you happy. Please check yourself. From the last time, those of you who have been reading with me, how far are you with your gratitude notebook? Look at mine. I'm going to open a drawer. I'm going to take it out right here. It's very close to me. my gratitude journal. I don't know if you guys can even see that. I'm not making this up on YouTube. Right. It says there, gratitude list. Right. And every day I inscribe in here the stuff I'm grateful for because it's a beautiful way to stay connected. What it is like to live in a loving relationship with money is the last section. It is hard for a lot of us to imagine what it is, what, what it looks like to have worry-free, stress-free relationship with money. But let's imagine it for a second. I want you to imagine that it is, a, it is possible to live a peaceful, uh, peacefully with money. People who, live in, people who live in love with money are doing what they love and make enough money. In fact, they often say, I have enough or I have all that I need. They may not be rich, but they truly have everything they need. They put what they love into the center of their life. They are financially comfortable, so they don't stress around money in everyday life. When they go to a restaurant or a shop, they choose not by price, but by their preference. That doesn't mean they always buy expensive stuff. They are just choosy right they know what they want so they don't need to buy many things nor do they need to buy expensive or branded name things because they are not looking to others for external validation they are already happy with themselves 
who they are and what they want. Their relationships are authentic. They hang around the, with people they like, not people who try to impress or, 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 or who try to impress them. They have a good relationship with their family and can spend quality time with them because they are not working so hard to make a few extra dollars. And though sometimes they feel money stress, they tell themselves this happens sometimes and I'm always able to go through it. It will work out. They know how to let go of stress and not control things out of fear of what could go wrong. They can separate what is real and what is not in regard to their fears when it comes to money. Ultimately, these people choose how to approach money. They are deliberate in their response and their intention to it. They are Zen. And we all choose our approach to money, to our life, how? I believe it begins with gratitude. Come on, man. Let's go. Gratitude. I believe it begins with gratitude. Instead of believing there is never enough, you begin thinking I have all that I need and I am so grateful for it. I am grateful for the work I do, the food I eat, the car I drive, and all the money I make. When money comes to you, thank you. As we say in Japan, arigato. Even when money leaves you, you can say it again, grateful for how the money served you and what it is bringing to you now. Whatever happens, you can say thank you. Thank you is a powerful phrase that will help you start to transform your relationship with money. The more you do, the less stress you will have and the more happiness will flow through you and your money. And you will begin to see without much effort how quickly unhappy money in your wallet starts to grow a smile and turn into happy money and ladies and gentlemen if that was not a perfect end to a very well thought chapter um, it is the end of chapter one of happy money uh, you know leading with the principles of gratitude you know I think we learned quite a lot from this chapter I'm looking forward to tomorrow's reading with you every day chapter a day I do apologize once again for yesterday it was not out of ill will or lack of discipline I just simply could not connect um, 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 due to a national load shedding power cut but we found a plan B uh, for, for this router here which is working today right so I appreciate you thank you so much shake my hand see you on the next reading goodbye